Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. We need to take the land that we own, that we have, that God has placed within our reach. And we need to start thinking about how we put gardens on it. It's my considered opinion that every church in this country needs to be looking around their bricks and mortar. And they need to see what kind of land God's given them. Because as I said, we only have eight acres, but we're feeding thousands and thousands of people. Welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on listener-supported Faith Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Perot, and since we're into May, things are really greening up. And Gabe, I know I'm like a lot of people who are either starting or getting ready to get a little dirty and do some gardening. I don't know where you're at in the country, around the world, or if it feels like spring for you. But for us, that means it's time to start gardening. It's time to weed. It's time to start thinking about food that's going to grow this summer. And I know that might sound off topic for a Q talk, but today you're going to see why it's completely on topic. Very true. And frankly, if you've listened long to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons or taken in Q Talks at a Q conference or other event, or even checked out videos as a Q media subscriber at QIdeas.org. And if you're not a subscriber, we definitely recommend that. But anyway, topics of healthy food and how some communities here in America are struggling to get quality food or even adequate food has come up. On this episode, we're going to listen to two talks. First, Gabe, last year, as the pandemic was causing such chaos, at a Q event, you had a conversation with your friend Dan Clark of Convoy of Hope, a Christian relief and assistance agency. Let's listen to that talk as you introduced Dan to the participants. Dan is somebody who's been a partner of Q for many, many years and a friend of mine for 15 years. And so it's so exciting to see him in this moment, helping us better understand food and flourishing. And so, Dan, I just want us and everybody listening to get a bit of an update on where we sit right now in American life with this food crisis. We already know, and you guys have been aware for many years, that food in our communities is not something we should just count on. Like a lot of people would think yeah. in American life, hey, everybody's got food. You yeah. guys have known for years there's a problem with food. And now we come into this moment and it's even more significant. Can you just kind of catch us up on what the state of food and its availability right now is in our communities? Sure. Well, thanks, Gabe. I appreciate you. So even before the pandemic, we had 37 million Americans who were living in a state of food insecurity. That's one in nine people in this country, and 11 million of those are children. Now, often we talk about hunger, and usually that's in in an international context. So what do we mean by food insecure? Well, that means people are lacking consistent access to enough food to uh, to live healthy and active lives. 
Now, you and I both have teenage boys in our homes, and it can seem sometimes like they can never get enough to eat, but obviously this is something different. Food security is a, it's a complex problem, but the bottom line is that there are millions of people who lack the resources to meet their basic needs. Yeah. And, and that was before the COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah. And today we know that the need has just grown greater, I mean much greater. We've got 22 million people that have filed for unemployment. Countless more have lost sources of income. I mean, there's rampant speculation about how far the need will extend. Will yeah. food supplies be able to hold up? And we don't know the answers to those questions. What we do know is that there are millions of people who don't have the resources to meet their basic needs. And we are working as hard as we can to bring help and hope to as many as possible. Well, this is a great leadership example, I think, of how your team sprung in to this moment where you do work all over the world. But in this yeah. situation, you had to turn your attention rather quickly when we realized food shortages are happening. People are having to stay home. Yeah. Many people didn't prepare, didn't, don't, don't have the ability to prepare, don't have the money to go out and buy weeks worth of groceries. Yeah. And grocery shelves are starting to go bare. And so your team came together and, and you guys decided we could do something here. And what is it that you guys have put your time and energy into over these last several weeks? So Convoy has been an active uh, first responder, serving on the front lines during times of disaster for more than two decades now, uh, providing food and water and other critical supplies, uh, both here in the U.S. and abroad. And frankly, when we look at this crisis, we see it a lot like many other disasters, only this one is affecting everybody at the same time. It's almost like a giant hurricane that's just sitting over top mm. of the country, and it's just sitting there swirling. Yeah, raining and, and it's not going to stop. Yeah, we don't know how long it's going to last. We just see it's it's crea creating tremendous need. Mm. And so a few weeks ago, we launched an effort to resource churches across America with truckloads of food and supplies like diapers and cleaning products so that they can meet needs in their own communities. Our initial vision was to provide 10 million meals. Well, the response, like the need, it's been incredible. And just last week, we, we've already surpassed 7.5 million meals, more wow. than 800 churches and communities in 46 states that have either been served or they're, they're in the process. And there are no signs that we're slowing down. We're receiving dozens yeah. of new requests daily. There's hundreds of churches on our waiting list. And again, we don't know how long this is going to last. We just know that with the help of our partners, we are committed to helping as many people and lifting up up as many churches as we can yeah. during this time. I know our church, Church of the City, uh, here in Nashville, got involved, and you brought a truckload yeah. in here that we're about to do for food distribution. Yeah. Uh, our mutual friend, Jeremy DeWert, he did an Instagram video, and I thought it'd be fun to show it because it, it just gives everybody a little bit of a picture of how a church can show up in the midst of this moment. Let's watch that now. Jenny O and I are up here on the roof yeah. of the church. But I uh, thought we'd give you a little bit of a view of what's going on here. Uh, people are lined up and uh, getting food right beneath me here in the carport. They're lined up all the way down the street and even across in the parking lot across the street, uh, which is right now... The police are funneling cars down there also, and it's backed up all the way down Mulford. So, what a need. What a need. 
It's crazy. But uh, there's such a need right now in our in our nation and a lot of people are losing their jobs a lot of people are furloughed and uh, just to see how we can be the love of Jesus to people is pretty amazing and so thank you Convoy of Hope thank you City First for everything yeah just a quick glimpse into what it looks like for a pastor whose church and building and parking lot has been completely transformed. Nobody's gathering in that building, but they're gathering in the parking lot. They're gathering on the road. There's a real physical need. And when churches start to show up like that, I mean, that gives me chills Yeah. when I see the church responding in such a way. Why is it so important that churches in American life, sometimes I think in the mission field, it's really easy to understand this concept of missions that we need to meet physical needs. And once we meet physical needs, maybe there's an opportunity for a deeper spiritual conversation about their life, about salvation, about God's grace. Yeah. But in American life, I don't know if we've all been thinking that way as much. Some churches certainly have, but others, this is a first opportunity for them to go, look, we got to turn our attention not to just being these places on Sunday mornings that spiritually nourish but we need to be involved in right. physical nourishment. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important to start even with the physical? Sure. Well, we believe that Jesus wants representation. He wants representation in the studios of Hollywood and in the halls of Congress. He wants representation on Wall Street and on Main Street. And he especially wants representation in places of great need and during seasons of suffering. And that's the job of, of his followers, of the church. And so Convoy serves to train and to resource and to mobilize the church so that when people are enduring one of the worst chapters of their lives, the church can be there offering help and hope in Jesus' name. And to the heart of your question, these are moments when in the eyes of the world, the church earns the right to be heard. Mm. And maybe better yet, this is an opportunity for the church to be seen demonstrating what we are for as opposed to shouting what we're against. These are moments to earn tremendous credibility. And we should take heart. The church, historically speaking, has had some of its greatest moments during major health uh, crises. There's not time to cover all the details now, but if there are Christian leaders out there that are looking for encouragement, they should go and read about the the Spanish flu 100 years ago. You had 28% of the U.S. population was infected. More than a half million people died. Like today, churches were forced to close. But many of those, they used that time, they invested it, to pray with and care for and attend to the needs of the sick and the afflicted. And in the midst of that crisis, 1908, a great revival began in Los Angeles and it spread across the country to Baltimore. Or you can go back a little further, read the writings of Charles Spurgeon as he talked about how the gospel opportunities multiplied during the cholera outbreak in London in 1854. Go read Martin Luther in the 15th century as the bubonic plague was ravaging Europe. He wrote about the Christian ethic of caring for our neighbors. And he said that that church, the Christians, we should not flee, that we must stay and help. And now it's it's 2020. It's our turn. This is our moment. And we believe that as we reach out, even with simple things like a bag of groceries, Mm -hmm. that once again, history will record that the church stepped into the void and God proved himself strong. Yeah, it's so compelling, Dan. And and I love the historical reference. I know Tim Keller earlier today referenced that writing from Martin Luther about this balanced approach of why we must stay, why we must show up. And that's what you're doing at Convoy of Hope. And I know part of 
churches getting involved now, and I want you to tell people how can they learn more, how can they get involved, because you know you have churches sometimes who can afford to get a trailer of food to their church, but they can also afford to help a church that's never going to have the money in their community to that's show right. up. They can also help kind of pay it forward and help a smaller church also have food. How can people learn more about that? Can you just describe what you guys are doing right now with churches that want to get involved? Sure, thank you. So I would invite people to visit our website. You can go to convoy.org slash 10MM, uh, 10M Meals. I'm sorry, convoy.org slash 10M Meals, 10 million meals. You can learn there about uh, the campaign, the effort, uh, keep up to date. Uh, we need churches that will partner to distribute. We're trying to reach the greatest areas of need in America. Uh, we need people that will give so that we can go further and help more people. So you can learn yeah. uh, about all that on our website, convoyofhope.org. Well, Dan, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your work. I think these are the kind of stories that inspire so many other leaders on ways they – there's not a lot everybody can do in this moment, but this is something everybody can participate in. So thank you for being a part of that and leading so well. Thank you. Appreciate you. Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that was Gabe's conversation last year with Dan Clark of Convoy of Hope, and that happened during the height of the pandemic, and the work that the Convoy of Hope was doing to help churches meet the needs in their communities. Now, that website that was mentioned, convoy.org slash 10M Meals, is still up because we are still in the midst of the pandemic, still a lot of concerns, but frankly, even without a pandemic, many communities struggle with adequate supplies of healthy food. So, Gabe, let's dig deeper into this critical issue. And the reason this is so critical, as you're going to see as we continue to have conversations around Q about the future, is that food is part of freedom. When you have the ability to sustain yourself, when you as a church have the ability to potentially help community gardens take place in your area, you're part of a very important long-term solution to what it means for your people to have freedom, to have the ability to sustain themselves, to not have to rely so much on the larger food chain that we saw in the last year got interrupted. And so I'm excited for you to get to hear this talk called Community Gardens as Mission and hear the passion of Joey Langford describe the role the church can play in gardening. Maybe something you've never considered, but after today, I doubt you'll drive past a nice church lawn without thinking about this. Good afternoon, and uh, thanks for, for having me here. I am uh, grateful to have the opportunity to speak about something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I haven't always been passionate about it, and to be really, really honest, when I got the call, I, I, my response was, I'm not a really good farmer. Uh, but out of this COVID-19 and out of this unprecedented time that we've all heard about and you've heard speakers talk about, one of the things that I think is going to be a real access point for our churches and for us as leaders is food hunger. We're going to be able to really tangibly get engaged with those who are in need. In Matthew 25, God makes it very clear to us that one of those ways of touching him is by going and feeding those who are hungry. In 2009, my story is one of being in healthcare, having a wife and kids, and attaining most of what I needed and wanted through how I'd been wired, groomed, and grown. I reached an American dream of sorts that I had in my own mind and vision with a wife and kids. I had a healthcare company with my family, and then I met the Lord in my barn in January of 2009 as we were adopting our child from Ethiopia. 
I went in there on a Friday afternoon at 3.30 and didn't come out until Sunday. And that conversation with the Lord resulted in us as a family leaving everything and transplanting ourselves in Cape Town, South Africa. As I mentioned a minute ago, I'm not a farmer, but there we saw economic poverty and hunger like I had never seen here before. We were across the road in a very upper income neighborhood from 45,000 people literally on one square mile. And being close to that hunger, we started this idea of how, how could we utilize under utilize the land that the nonprofit that we were working within had to meet that food hunger need, but do more than that, to really change and give opportunity to the unemployment of 45, 50% that was in that township to provide access to jobs, not only to training, but a pathway to jobs and companies that were there in Cape Town. We worked there for five years with greenhouses and farmers, and I was literally trained in farming by a Zimbabwean man who took time to really show me and, and give me the patience that it needs. If you, you're listening to this and you've ever dealt with plants and farming, you know it takes a lot of patience. But after that five years, winds of change began to blow again, and we began to sense that God was going to allow us to hand that platform off to the locals and we began to groom and grow them to run that, to create more opportunities for their own people, to give food into the townships through food distributions and networks and other nonprofits and churches. And then as I began to prepare to come back to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I was born and raised, the conversation began to stir within my wife and I, what could we do? What could we do? to meet the needs of the 48 million people that were in our own country who are suffering from food insecurity. I moved back with my family with $9,000 in the bank. You can't live long with uh, as many kids as I have, five on $9,000, but we began to talk about this food insecurity and how we might engage it. And the governor of the state of Tennessee and his then commissioner of agriculture began to engage me about what it would look like for a faith-based nonprofit and, and for the state and the land that the state owns to set that up in some sort of training and development way for addicts that are suffering from opiate and meth addiction here in our state. That conversation led to us identifying eight acres on Ellington Ag Center's property where we set up the greenhouses almost exactly like they look like in Africa. We started networking with other nonprofits and inviting people who were in halfway houses to come and work for a living wage, till the ground, get their hands dirty, and apply their life beside ours in a way that fed and met food insecure needs in their communities that they went back to in the evenings after they left work. We would pay them, we would train them, and then we began to network with UT and their ag extension for training and farming and resources so that we could get people equipped for the food safety regulations and guidelines that were coming from Washington, D.C. in this new era. They would have a job and a place in farms all across this state as they come out of prison and they come out of addiction. The plants, we also realized, provided a space for 3,000 volunteers last year for, from 24 states around the country to come and donate an hour and a half to three hours of their time working alongside an addict and putting their life beside somebody who was hungry and in need on our farm. 
You see, we took the land with the state, and we made more than a farm. We made a place. We made a place that feeds people now. We made a place where people can walk a life with somebody they might not otherwise meet or touch. And we've given both the opportunity to be better because of that journey, that touch. We're not looking for programs anymore, folks. We're looking for people. And we've got to get those people in this time of opportunity that COVID-19 is presenting to us into our spaces and places, our churches, where we live, work, and play. We've got to put our lives beside theirs. And farming and food and community gardens, we've, we've gotten more calls as an organization in the last month than I've got the first four years from pastors and governors all over this nation. The Secretary of Agriculture in Washington, D.C., wondering how we take and get these programs into underutilized land in the largest distribution network around this country, which is the local church. We can use land. We can take this land that we've always paid to have mowed that's around these properties and in these spaces and places where people are hungry, and well, we've got to rethink them. We've got to rethink what, how we're using it. It's going to take a complete transformation in most of the churches that I've been in. But I believe that we need to take the land that we own, that we have, that God has placed within our reach. He's given it to us, and we need to start thinking about how we put gardens on it. It's my considered opinion that every church in this country needs to be looking around their bricks and mortar, and they need to see what kind of land God's given them. Because as I said, we only have eight acres, but we're feeding thousands and thousands of people. We've created networks with supermarkets and restaurants to buy a pound and support the wages of the men who are on the farm. And the network of companies and churches and leaders that are calling and coming around this farming aspect because the soil, it really does heal the souls of people as they get on our dirt, they get their hands dirty, and they experience things that the land and the plants and the working relationships they build with people that they might not otherwise see is transforming their own lives. They're being better fathers and husbands and business leaders. They might leave the farm and have dirt under their fingernails that they have to explain for the first time, but it's making us better. It's giving us community and for the church and for us as pastors and leaders, it's, it's making a space. It's just making a place for us to gather around others who are suffering and say to them tangibly, because it's going to look a whole lot different when that mowed grass is muddy and there's people in it getting food and they're coming to you because they need food. I was telling somebody just the other day, we have used distribution networks for a long, long time to get our food out to other people. We stay on the farm and we work alongside the addicts and we've leveraged networks. Now they're coming to us. They're coming to the farm and they're asking for food. Would you join me? Would you join me in doing an asset review of everything you have and turn that land into a farm? Thank you. Well, Joey, this is uh, phenomenal in terms of giving us vision for something that a lot of us maybe have never even imagined or thought of before. And I know for some listening, 
this is challenging, right? right. To, to review the land, as you just said, that's been getting mowed for years and to consider, are we going to ever put a building over there? Right. Is that really the future? Or is there something better we can do with that land? So it, it takes a whole different perspective. But what are the first steps? What are the first conversations you would invite somebody to have who maybe they've never considered? This is the first time they're hearing about this. They need to do their research. They want to better understand. Uh, is there a website they can go to? Yeah, it's Cultivate, C-U-L, the number two, V-A-T-E dot org. And okay. that number two is Growing Food, Growing People. And we are, as I mentioned, working to give resources and contextualize levels of participation by churches so they don't have to make the same mistakes that we've made over the last four or five years. Well, so. and certainly, as you said, as we talked earlier with some of our other uh, partner organizations. I mean, they're having a hard time keeping up with the demand. The demand's crazy for you guys. Absolutely. You're not going to have time to get on the phone and walk people through this. But look, right. folks, this is gardening. This is farming. There's a lot of people in your churches and in your community that probably are looking for ways to give back, to contribute, that could probably Absolutely. offer great skills and experience to help. And so I think, Joey, you would encourage them, and I know I would encourage them to just start the conversation, open the door, see if there's an opportunity on their land to do something like this. And as they identify the land, the human capital is sitting in their pews yeah. every time. Yeah. There's people in there who will champion that. And it's, it's, my, it's been my experience that somebody steps up hmm. and says, no, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. I'll, a retired doctor, a, a lawyer, a, and, they get, and they put their life beside somebody, and they, it just ends up going. Yeah. You well, know, it's beautiful. dirty. It's hard. Uh, but it's ministry, man. It yeah. is Matthew twenty five thirty five. I was hungry and you fed me. Yeah. So. Well, Joey, we thank you for being with us today. I appreciate you and sharing with us. Yes, thank sir. you very God much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that talk. I mean, I don't know that I've ever met somebody more passionate about planting, about dirt, about seeds, about gardening. But Joey is awesome. He really is. And what a vision Joey has of churches leading and addressing such a practical need at such a local level in a way that not only provides for the needs of the community they serve, but also involves the community, developing solid, organic relationships, along with maybe some organic foods. Now, if you'd like to connect with Joy Langford and his organization, Cultivate, visit their website, cultivate.org. Now, I'd better spell that because it is a little different. Cultivate is C-U-L, the number two, V-A-T-E, cultivate.org. Well, we're out of time for this edition of Q Ideas with Gabe Lines. Thanks again for listening. I'm Paul Perot. On behalf of Gabe, have a blessed week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.